Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that is a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are... Friday Night Games, All You Can Board, Dice and Dragons, Foster the Meeple, The Cardboard Kid, Board on the Air, The Meeple Dungeon, definitely a board game podcast, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, And prepare yourself for some fantastic content by these great content creators and collaborators. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at Friday Night dot games. Okay, John, what uh, what games did we play last week? You know what? We actually had a pretty productive game night. Um, we played Fort. Uh, we played a game I don't remember the name of. We'll call it Robot uh, Blackjack. Robot Blackjack. Battle of the Ganymede or something. <laughs> it's an import from, it's an indie game from Japan. And the last one that we're actually going to talk about is... Uh, Love Marvel Love Letter Infinity Gauntlet, which I was pretty jazzed to play because it's been sitting... And it's a little little pouch for a while, and I haven't gotten it to the table yet. So Yeah, it was pretty sweet. So if you never played Love Letter, you should play it. It's a simple card game. Basically, the cards have different numbers on them, and every card also has a ability that you, that you do. The Marvel version is pretty sweet. Yeah, so in this one, uh, Thanos is uh, using the Infinity Stones to bend the universe to his will. Um, obviously, Marvel heroes are uh, assembling to... to you know, take Thanos down. So um, the game we played as a two-player game, which is uh, weird for Love Letter because it's usually a three-player game, but uh, we definitely felt that it would have been better with another person. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the cool thing is that uh, there's there's like a Thanos deck and a, like a superhero deck. Superhero yeah. deck. But you had to play two characters versus my one character and then mine had like each had different so love letter has all these each deck has different numbers so mine had different numbers yours had different numbers mm-hmm. and then that's kind of like the guessing thing i had to you know use what's on the board to try and guess what you have same with me and then i have these infinity stones that if i have them all in my hand or played then i i win right so uh, i actually found it impossible to win <laughs> uh especially yeah, two-player was, i thought it would be a be harder of a game to play maybe uh Maybe because when you're playing with two players, you know, you can use cards to look at, you know, Thanos' hand. Uh, I should mention I was Thanos. Right. And you were yeah. the superhero. And I was a superhero. Right. So I was using uh, my card abilities that say, look at uh, Thanos' hand. And then the next one would be like, my ne- so I would go, I like the, the player turns are weird. So it goes like Thanos goes first, then the superheroes go. So me playing as superheroes got to play twice in a row. So I can say like, 
look at your hand, and then my next guy would be like, pick a number from Thanos' hand, <laughs> discard that card. So I'd be like, uh, well, okay, five. <laughs> which, yeah, which wouldn't happen normally uh, in like a three-player game because you're not supposed to talk about what you saw. Right. But I, mean, I don't know. It, I had some really close games. I think maybe one out of the three games I almost won. Yeah. But other than that, I found it pretty hard. Yeah, so I, I found it super easy yeah. on my end. So I, I think we should have played reverse, or I should have played Thanos. You should play the superheroes. Right, but, and uh, it would have been awesome to have three players, but uh, the minute I open up game night and no one shows up, look at that. <laughs> That's, uh, thank you, COVID, again <laughs> for that. Appreciate it. So um, how many different versions of Love Letter have you played? Uh, I've only played um, the original. Yeah. Oh, the extended version for eight people. This one. And then uh, there's an Archer one, which is just like the original, but I think one card is different. Okay, so I've played uh, the original and Batman and this one. Um, this one, I think, has different elements mm-hmm. than the other the other ones I've played. Like, Batman's just like a skin of Love Letter. It's the same that's game. exactly what the uh, Archer one was, too. Yeah, so uh, this one has like a little bit different elements okay with it, so. i really like this one i actually like this one better than the other love letters because yeah. it there's like a co-op element first a really powerful character i obviously it would be more fun with with more than two people 100 percent right. guaranteed and it's an easy very easy game to pick up and learn right like you didn't even learn the rules i mean we did play love letter so that is <laughs> a little <laughs> bit helpful um but i will say the deluxe version of love letter goes up to eight people mm-hmm. which is a great game too right but there's also a lot more downtime right. that one so. so yeah so marvel uh love letter and finley gauntlet uh was a super cool addition to the love letter uh lineup so yeah if you like marvel and you like love letter pick it up yeah highly recommended awesome again i'm john i'm matt and we're friday night games you can check us out on instagram at friday night games underscore official twitter at friday night gms and our website friday night games where we launch podcasts every friday thank you thanks everyone <laughs> Hey everyone, Carlo and Dylan here from All You Can Board, and today we're going to be talking about Kubitos, which we've been playing lately. It's uh, designed by John D. Clare and published by AEG. Dylan picked this up recently, so I'm going to throw it over to him to kind of give a basic uh, overview of the game. Yeah, so this is a a sort of a push-your-luck style game that involves dice, involves a a race element, a map. The best way I can describe it, and this is going to use a bunch of games, so if you haven't played them, you might not be familiar, but this is a a mashup of Quacks of Quedlinburg and uh, the Quest for El Dorado is is the two that I that come to mind. It sort of has it feels a lot like Quacks actually. Like there's there's tons of elements in here that I'm like, oh, this is exactly the same flow as Quacks and and the exact you know the way that uh, you go from one thing to the next. But then the race element very much feels like it's it's new and it's been added from sort of the Quest for El uh, Quest for El Dorado and sort of how that's implemented. So basically, what you're doing is you start with a certain number of these really basic dice, um, and as you play, you're going to be gaining uh, money that you can then spend to buy new dice. A variety of colors. Each of these dice is going to have different abilities associated with them, and these abilities are going to affect how you can move across the map, and you know uh, how many faces are on the dice, so whether or not you bust. Um, the idea is that at the start of your turn, you're rolling your dice, and you have to try to roll uh, hits, and hits are just anything on the dice coming up. If you roll blanks, and if they're all blank, that means that you've busted, and if you bust, you're going to lose everything, and you don't get any dice to use that turn. So you have to decide as you start running out of dice, when do I choose to stop, and when do I continue to press my luck to try to get more and be able to make it further on the map? So it's a it's a push your luck style game. 
it's very accessible because of that, because there's so much, um, you know, potential to have this sort of auto balance where, you know, it's so luck enabled that I could be an expert at the game and have really bad luck and, and just have a really, really bad game. At the same time, if, if you, if you're not a fan of, of luck, um, this is full of it. So you're probably not going to be into this game. I say the same thing about Quacks of Quedlinburg. You have to be okay with the luck factor and just being punished for, for sometimes the wrong reasons. But I would say that it's also just very, very fun. Just like Quacks, like regardless of all that, it's a fun experience that I'm sort of laughing and smiling with, uh, every time I play, would you, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And it's the same thing. It's like when you go into a game of quacks, if you go into it super competitively thinking, oh, I have to win this, then it might be kind of disappointing. But Kubitos and quacks, like you said, they're both like, these aren't games you go to to be super competitive and win. You understand going in that there's a certain amount of luck. And part of the fun is just kind of seeing how it plays out. And the games, you know, I would have more of an issue with it if it was a much longer game where the luck had a big you know, uh, like determine more of how the game all played out, but because it plays in what, like probably 45 minutes to an hour could be, I guess we've only played it once and only with two players, but uh, yeah, honestly, the luck aspect didn't even bother me that uh, much, especially because one thing I'd like, one of the things I liked about this more than Quacks, and I can't compare which game I like more yet because I've played Quacks a lot more, but in Quacks, you're having your, it's a bag builder and you buy these chips and put them in, but if you don't pull the chips out at the end of the round, if I'm not mistaken, everything goes back in the bag, right? So some of the chips you might not see um, at any point or whatever, so the randomness plays a bigger part, whereas in Kubitos, it's a, I guess it's called like a pool building thing where you're collecting this pool of dice but you're not blindly drawing you have these areas where you're shifting over from what is it your like draw section into your into your rolling uh area for your pool so you're never going to really run into things where you buy dice and then you just like oh i never drew them it was so unlucky i didn't pull them out of the bag it's like no you you might not be able to use all of them but you get to choose which ones are in your pool that you're going to be able to roll so you have more control over the luck which i really like yeah, and uh, the, one of the things that was great with Quacks, and it's great here, is that there's so much variety between games. So every one of these dice has a set of cards that each has a different ability, and you can mix and match. So I can't remember how many different colors of dice there are, but I think it's something like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, and each of these has, a, like I think, a set of like six or seven ability cards. So imagine, obviously, the combinations there. I mean, you can play seven games, and each game play a different... Um, orange ability for the dice, but that's just one of the die colors. So there's so much variety there. There's four different maps that you can actually race on as well. So not only are you having different abilities, you're having different ability combinations, trying on different maps. Some maps are more complicated. They'll have like these, um, you know, places where you can just skip a whole section of the map and sort of teleport to another section. Um, they'll have sections where you can, you know, you step on it and you're able to sort of get rid of three of your worst dice compared to the simple maps that you only get rid of one at a time. So they all change the game a lot that I feel like this is a game you could have multiple plays of and and never really feel like it's not fresh for a long time. Even now when I play Quacks, every time I play, it feels vastly different because there's still so many abilities in Quacks that I haven't played either at all or in combination with another one. So this has even more possibilities in terms of abilities that you can choose from that I feel like this is one you're not going to tire of very quickly. Yeah. Honestly, in true uh, AEG fashion, like if you're a fan of Tiny Towns, which I like a lot, it has that similar thing with the market cards in Tiny Towns. You just put out a few different market cards, it completely changes the game. So yeah, tons of value there. One thing I want to quickly touch on is we talked about the uh, the catch-up mechanic, how in 
Quaxo Quedlinburg, you have the thing where if you fall behind, you're behind those rat tails. I don't remember what the advantage is that you get that kind of helps you catch up, but in here you've got this track with these flags, and every time you bust, you move one spot forward, and there's also these flags on the map that you can stop on that will move you forward on this flag track, but I think the track goes up to like 13, and when we played, I think you got up to number two and I got up to number one. It felt like such a, I don't know if we were doing it wrong or something, but like it felt like it was such a bigger factor in Quacks. Like I was always incentivized early on to just, oh, keep pushing. I don't care if I bust the rewards are worth it. Whereas I know we've only played it once, but I, I kept feeling like, did we do it wrong? Why are we, we barely advanced on this track? Yeah. I feel like maybe we just should have been busting a lot more at the start by just pushing our luck as much as we possibly could. It's also that we were playing on one of the, this the most simple boards. And we even checked, we were playing with the intro abilities and some other abilities involve ways to advance on that flag track. So it could have just been that in our introductory experience, they just didn't have many ways to advance, but you're right. Like for our first game, it just felt like almost what was the point of this board here? We barely even advanced on it. So, so yeah, that's Cubitos. That's what we've been playing on uh, what you've been playing Wednesdays. Uh, again, as always, thanks for having us on. Um, and we will see you on the next one and tell you what we've been playing then. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what day is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesday. So we've got some great games to talk with you about today. We have Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, the expansion Secrets and Soirees, designed by Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley. And we also got in a few plays of bullet or bullet heart there's that heart i just i can't get it to work when i try to type in the name uh, on the computer so we're going with bullet and it is published by level 99 games and designed by joshua van Lanningham. and now julie let's talk about between two castles since it was the one that we played first by stonemeyer games with busy games also we just like to say thanks to stonemeyer games as they sent us a review copy Yes, you can also check out our video coming out the day after this one because we will be doing a giveaway for a copy of Secrets and Soirees. No, it wasn't sponsored by Stonemeyer Games. We had a shipping accident and we ended up with an extra copy. So we're giving it away to all the fabulous people out there. Yeah, so uh, between two castles uh, uh, of Mad King Ludwig, the Secrets and Soirees, I think we're just going to call it Secrets and Soirees for the rest of this. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll have used all of our time just saying the name. Uh, <laughs> it was lots of fun. Uh, I like the new mode that you pay basically uh, making your own castle and uh, you basically hand over a card uh, to the person you're playing against or the people you're playing against, basically with Ludwig's demands, right? Yeah. And so you will always still be choosing two tiles to go into your castle, but you will be forcing other players to take one tile of your choice and insert it into the castle. So part of the strategy is trying to get the other players to make suboptimal choices, maybe block some of their avenues for success. And then your challenge is to take those tiles that you don't really want and find a way to use them in your castle to score more points. It does change up the game uh, I would say to a large extent, uh, except for the two-player variant where if you're building your own castle, it just flies by. Yeah, it was very quick, which was, I think, the main reason I liked it so much. Uh, I found that the two-player version of the original game was a little bit 
not confusing, but you know, you're always trying to make the best choice when you're playing Ludwig's castle that you think it would be the worst choice for you, but the best choice for Ludwig. And it just got a little convoluted and I felt this was a lot cleaner. No, I agree. I, I wouldn't play the two player variant for between two castles of Ludwig uh, again. I would play the secret and soirees version. See, look, even when you try to avoid the tongue twister, sometimes it just comes out. Yeah, so I'd also like, I'd also say that, I mean, I like the ballroom. I think it's cool that it scores using uh, the, uh, basically your your adjoining castles, like not yours, so. Adjacent, well, sorry. Adjacent, sorry. Adjoining, adjacent, whatever. <laughs> They're not connected by, well. I know. They, maybe if they had some secret passages uh, next. A new expansion. There's, I mean, these are secret tunnel, rooms. They're tunnels. Yeah, we need tunnels to connect to the other castles. Yeah, so get on cool. it, Stonemeyer. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, you really like the activity rooms. Uh, yeah, the way the activity rooms score, I found that there was always a great way to insert them into the castle for an easy two to three points. And they just add a lot of value with uh, the variability. I mean, if you surround them with different room types as well, you can score even more points if you're able to, you know, get them surrounded by all living rooms for uh, whatever reason, or if there's mostly living rooms that surround them instead of going with the uh, orthogonal scoring. And the secret rooms are fun, especially um, when you're playing a two-player game. Uh, they really allow you to you know, to compensate maybe for a lack of another card because they allow you to copy the card uh, where the arrow is facing, basically. So above Kyle. to the side. Oh, car, Cards are bigger than tiles. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, so it's not very different, but I just feel like it tightens up the game. Yeah, I think that this just makes the game easier to play, smooths everything out, and it's a really solid expansion to the game. We also got a chance to play it at four players, which was really fun. And I think that having this expansion made it easier for the new players to understand and just be able to score more bonuses. That being said... As we mentioned in our review, it was proven. If it's hard to see and hard to read, it's hard to play. And that was our biggest challenge, taking this game to the table. Yep. So it was a problem with the first game. It's a problem with this game. It'd be nice to get some type of big player aid for this eventually. Yeah, so we also got a few uh, plays of this game, Bullet. Uh, another anime game. Yeah, anime style game. It's <laughs> called a cute up because that's uh, just a style of game from Japan. It's based on a video game, what you will be doing in Bullet is you will essentially be having bullets to send into your site area. And each of the heroines, that's right, it's all heroines in this one to four player game, plays in about 15 minutes, so keep that in mind. We'll be playing different patterns to clear the bullets, essentially deflecting the ones that they clear back to the other players. And you have to bas basically survive this ongoing onslaught of bullets and be the last player standing. And that three minute timer is so stressful. <laughs> yes, well that's part of the, the design of the game. I mean, with the three minutes for each round, it'll play very quickly. Now we've only played the competitive mode and I would say that it, our plays have been fairly balanced both times with me winning some and Julie winning some. And uh, I'm really enjoying the game so far. I like the way it works and it's very different than anything else that we have in our collection. I think we're just going to touch upon this one lightly because it will be our review for next week. So we'll deep dive it, talk a little bit more about the patterns as well as the cooperative mode. Yes. I'm hoping I like the cooperative more, mode more than competitive. I didn't hate the competitive mode, but uh, you definitely liked it more than I did. Oh, it's, it's my style of game. I like fast-paced stuff when you got to 
think quick on the fly, although uh, my last hero was fairly challenging to play, and you just crushed me uh, with yours. And one thing that's really interesting I do want to mention is that when the timer stops, you still have to place all of your bullets. So even if someone's been knocked out, guess what? You can get knocked out as well, and it can end up being a tie game, which I think is pretty cool. I think that's enough about bullet for now, as we'll be back with more on it next week. So what do we have to do? I'm going to remind everyone to keep, keep playing, playing games. Hello, everyone. My name is Jamie. And I'm Jeff. And we are from Foster the Meeple, a YouTube channel all about board games and board gamey things. You can find us on YouTube at Foster the Meeple and on social media at Foster the Meeple. Pretty much we're the only Foster the Meeples out there. So just Google us and, so and we'll be there. So far, so good. Do we show up on Google? I don't know, actually. I'm sure. Maybe on, Down like, the page. I was like on the third page, yeah. maybe. We're here to do another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And this week, we've been playing a lot of the Silver Series games from Bezier Games. Haven't we? For anybody who may know us from our YouTube channel, you will know that Silver Bullet is one of our most played games. We've played it already 50 times just this year. So we decided to try out the entire series, all four games, which include Silver Amulet, Silver Bullet, Silver Dagger, and Silver Coin. Yeah, and eventually we're going to build the ultimate ultimate silver two-player deck yes that's the end goal that is our life goal once we yep. finish that we are content we're content we can retire and there's Set nothing more we need into to do the sun so we're going to talk a little bit about the silver series as a whole each game plays pretty much identically the difference yep. being what the cards say so the characters that are on the cards and the actual silver piece that you get with each game it is a strictly card game where it involves a bit of hand management, some memory, and a little take that and push your luck. Yeah, depending on the version, some have a little bit more take that, or I shouldn't say a little bit more, have a lot more take that action. So I'm going to read the theme because I think it's important to mm -hmm. the story of the game. So Silver Series is a fast and engaging traditional card game with a werewolf twist because every game needs a werewolf twist. Your village is overrun by savage werewolves represented by the number on each of the cards that make up your village. To get rid of these fanged fiends faster than the neighboring villages, utilize your resident's special abilities and your powerful secret weapon, silver. Call for a vote when you think you have the fewest werewolves, but be careful. Everyone else gets one more turn to save their own village first. So that's the theme of the yeah. game. Basically, you're in back in the day, you know, 1689, when werewolves were running rampant. Yep, and before they went extinct. The whole point of the game is to have the least amount of points by the end, which represents like the least amount of werewolves. Yeah, so the, the numbers on each card represent a number of werewolves. Yes, so you yeah. want to have the lowest score in order to win the game. It mm -hmm. plays over four rounds. Yeah, I think so. You're laying down cards in your village. Everyone starts with five cards and you're only allowed to know what two of those cards are. So you take a sneak peek and then you have to remember what they are. Then you're adding cards to your village, discarding cards, trying to get that low number. And also in the process, once again, trying to do some take that actions to basically yeah. screw over yeah. your competitor. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to interrupt your, your other, uh, yeah, your, your opponent. opponent. Each of the sets, like we said, the cards 
cards have different triggers. Everything from view your cards, flip all your cards over, switch cards with somebody else, Mm -hmm. or end of game triggers. Like if you have exactly 50 points in your village at the end of the game, then you score zero, which is a trigger that is really difficult to get, but worth a shot. So every card has a different type of trigger. You play over the round. And what's unique about each of these games is they each come with a silver piece that does something different. Mm -hmm. So in Silver Amulet, you can take your silver amulet and put it on a card to protect it, which Mm -hmm. means somebody can't take that card from you and they can't get rid of it. And it's there forever for you to have and to hold. Yeah, you can't mess with that card. And then in Silver Bullet, the bullet actually allows you to put the bullet on a card so that card doesn't count. So if you have a high number card in your village, you most likely want to put the bullet on that because Mm -hmm. those points aren't going to count at the end of the game. Then in Silver Dagger, it changes the direction of play. And this is the one where we struggle a little bit with the two-player variant. Yeah, basically means you take your turn twice. It doesn't work super well at two-player. And then with the Silver Coin, it allows you to flip over one of the cards that you have, which can be really good because some of the cards you need to have face up in order for the abilities to trigger either for the end of the game or for gameplay. I would say that each individual trigger, so the uh, the coin, the dagger, the bullet, and the amulet are kind of that over-encompassing mechanic that that specific game has. It caters towards the mechanic that it's trying to get you to utilize the most, either be card flipping, uh, change direction, as Jamie mentioned, or nullifying cards at end end game scoring. We have played all of these games quite a few times now, just Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how they each work and their different triggers. I have a personal favorite, and I believe Jeff does as well. Yeah, and again, I think it's important to note that we play all of our games or most of our games at two player, this being no exception. Yeah, so our favorite is definitely the Silver Bullet game. And I I don't know if that's because it is the best of the series or if it's just because it's the one that we've played so many times and we Mm -hmm. love so much. But I would personally think that the Silver Bullet version, if you're going to get one of these games, that's the one that I would go with. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is, I think, some bias because it is the one we've played the most and we've played it so much that it is to some degree muscle memory at this point. Mm -hmm. But it does play there. There is the most take that action, which we enjoy a lot in Silver Bullet. I just think overall, even if I had played the rest as... Uh, to the same amount, I still think I would lean towards Bullet. I just think that the overall card mechanics in Bullet work better together and just are more fun to use. Mm -hmm. So that's the Silver Series in a nutshell. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about it other than I definitely recommend that everybody at least give Silver Bullet a try? Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking for more information on on Silver Bullet in particular, we do have some content around it that you can check out on our Mm -hmm. YouTube channel. Upcoming, we will have a more in-depth look at the entirety of the series. So Mm -hmm. ranking them and doing um, some more in-depth analysis on all four. And of course, building the ultimate two-player silver deck, which I'm really excited. I'm very interested to see how that turns out and very interested if we ever go back to playing just silver bullet. Just the seat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess only time will tell. So that is all that we have for you today. Once again, this is Jamie and Jeff from Foster the Meeple, and you can find us on YouTube at Foster the Meeple, and of course on Twitter and Instagram, all the social medias at Foster the Meeple. Thank you for listening, and we'll be chatting with you again next week. Later days. <laughs> that was correct. Yeah, later days. Bye. Bye. Bye.
If you don't know me, I'm 11 years old and I've reviewed games on YouTube since April 2017. I have over 290 reviews, plus dozens of interviews and features. My latest was this past Friday, Herbaceous Pocket Edition, and my next will be up July 30th after I take a little break. Cosmic Frog has one of the most unique themes I've ever heard of. You're all giant frogs racing and battling each other to eat land, and then spit that land back out into your vault to keep it safe from others. I think that it's beautiful, and although random, the variant setup and mechanisms seem like it'll be super replayable. We've only played it once, but I really liked it. Fans of my channel know that I quite enjoy Disney Villainous and Family Way Asymmetric games in general, Smash Up, Dice Throne, and so on. I've played and reviewed all the previous Disney expandables and even the Marvel box. This certainly met my expectations, although I'd kind of forgotten how long the four-player game can be. Then again, we were teaching Grandma. Dad wasn't feeling well on Sunday, so we took a week off of our Call of Clulu game. We'll be back to that this Sunday, and depending on how we do, either finish that up or continue the next week before moving back to our D&D campaign that Ariel runs. As for our Rift Force giveaway, while people retweeted my What You've Been Playing Wednesday tweet with the rules, nobody actually, well, followed them by sharing one of my reviews along with it. I'll have to come up with something different, and simpler I guess, while I'm taking a break from videos. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates of what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at Cardboard underscore Kid. For weekly reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kid. Please stay safe. Happy gaming! Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing Wednesday. A weekly podcast of Canadian content creators that talk about games they've been playing. Tonight we will be talking about Maglev Metro or Magnetic Levitation Rail. As two names. Well, it's in small print underneath the oh, big okay. print. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's uh, a subtitle. Yeah. In, in this game, you are building routes, picking up passengers okay. and then delivering them to their location uh when you deliver them you take the those passengers and they go on to your main board which causes an asymmetrical f- effect so you can give yourself more movement uh you can pick up more people at a time you can drop off more people at a time uh, you can give yourself more actions you start with a base of two actions and you can get up to three additional actions yeah uh Everyone has access to the robot factories. And if you uh, develop, I guess, the uh, different uh, areas, you can gain up to four different passengers as well. Yeah, so they're all separated uh, by basically colors. So you got the robots who are uh, bronze, silver, and gold. And then you have the other passengers, which they have pink, red, violet, and purple. Yeah, and you have to get the pink and the lilac to upgrade to the red and the purple purple yeah uh production value on this one gorgeous was absolutely gorgeous uh all the stations are nice beefy tiles and everybody has their own 
trains or tr- rails. Tracks. And they, they're all clear plastic and they sit on top of each other and lay out so that you can see where everybody has a track. Yeah, because you can overlap because you can only go to where your track is set up. So you have to be able to overlap on this board. And it's neat that they made them clear and also offset a couple of them so that you can see your color underneath. Uh, and it ends up looking really neat. Yeah. And the rest of the pieces, like you got uh, dual layer boards and, I mean, the start player token is solid metal, which yep. is a little, I don't know why, because, you know, those first player tokens aren't necessarily needed, but does look really cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful game. Yeah, like even the cardstock on the cards is nice and thick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't spare any expense. It's, it's a fairly pricey game. You're paying about $80 for it. Uh, but you're actually getting some value for it, mm-hmm. right? Like there, I, I can see where the $80 went to. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's not all games do that. Yeah. Uh, gameplay, I found for first play, we uh, learned it in about 20 minutes-ish. We didn't learn it well, though. We, we didn't learn it real well. <laughs> uh, we, there's not a lot of rules to it, but there's a lot of strategy to it. Yeah, and I would argue there are... enough rules and some of them that kind of like for one thing you can do something but for another you can't and that's where they can get kind of confusing so i don't know i didn't have a chance to look at the rule book i don't know how clear it necessarily is but i do know there was a couple times where i was kind of like okay so wait i'm doing this but i can't do that here but you can do that here little confusing that way Oh, it was. I think it was more of the action point selection aspect of it that you were that you were struggling on as to what was an action what wasn't yeah. A, a little bit. Yeah, because right? some things are actions. Some things, the action can count for doing two things. There's a little bit of confusion there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like, I do think it was a solid game. I definitely didn't do well at it. But I think playing it again would improve that because I didn't really know what I was doing in this game. Yeah, there's there's definitely strategy to this game. And, you know, I think it, an experienced player is going to do much better at this game yeah uh than just walking in and throwing stuff against the wall yeah and this game definitely plays into that uh trap of at a certain point you will realize that you are not going to win if you don't have a certain amount of things done like i hit that point and i was like there is no way i'm getting up here i think i managed to come out in second or no third third for somehow out of four but honestly at one point i'm just like there's nothing i can do right now to really get me enough points to win this game. Yeah, it's it scoring is all at the end of the game. Uh, so it is a little bit of a judgment as as you're looking around the boards and stuff to see what everybody else has done as to how well you think you're doing. Yeah. Uh, another this is I think the third game in a row that I've learnt and taught and finished dead last. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm really on a roll in that regard. Yep. But all in all, uh, great production. I thought the strategy in it was very strong. I thought the gameplay was quick. Your turns were very quick. There, there was a little bit of AP, uh, or there can be, Yeah. Uh, to think about what you want to do, and a little bit of put this out, bring it back. Nope. And I think that's more just being beginners to the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, after playing this a few more times, if... It's a game that has multiple strategies to win, or if it's going to be a game that ends up basically having one strategy. Because based on how the game kind of went, I think there's things that I would do that everybody else was also doing. 
And so I'm a little, I, I'd be a little concerned that maybe there might only be one strategy to win this game. But I can't say for sure because we've only played one. Yeah, I I, I think you get points from enough a number of different things. Uh, I know that the different colored passengers that you can get on your board give you big points. Yeah. Uh, and the bonus cards can give you big points. Absolutely. Uh, there, there might be some imbalance in the bonus cards, uh, but I think in general everybody's going towards the same goals. So I don't know, I I, I don't know how much, you know, there's going to be one strategy because everybody's got to do the same stuff, right? Yeah. It, it's more, I think as you play it, you're going to learn not to just let somebody grab all of one color of the passengers. Yeah. Okay, that is Maglev Metro. I am David. And I'm Shay. And we are a weekly podcast slash radio show on CFCR in Saskatoon and all of your favorite podcast sites. Uh, And and we're bored on the air. You didn't mention the name. We have a name? We have a name. Sweet. We are bored on the air. Okay, have a good night. Talk to you next week. Hello, my name is Ian, and I am one of the hosts of the Cardboard Conjecture podcast, along with Norm and Ryan. And it's been really nice having these game nights start to trickle back into our lives again. One of the games that I would want to talk about that we've played recently is from 2007, Coliseum. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Coliseum is a game that was originally from Days of Wonder, uh, but has recently been released by Tasty Minstrel Games. It is a very interesting game where you are trying to put on these productions in ancient Roman times. And there's a few things that I find really neat about this game. The first thing is that it's it can be quite a good interactive game because there's a few parts that you can actually play the game simultaneously as opposed to turn-based. Now, it doesn't really say this in the rules, but there are points where you can get away with it, and it really helps the game move a little bit slower, or I mean smoother. One of the things is that when the round starts, each player gets to pick an upgrade, and there's going to be five rounds throughout the game, and so they're going to be able to get five upgrades. Well, for the most part, your players can just go ahead and pick these upgrades. You don't need really to do that in turn order. The only exception is that you're eventually going to start getting these play uh, or production tiles. I don't know. I don't know if you're thematically, if you're buying like scripts to shows or the rights to certain historical events that you can put on in your Coliseum. I don't know. But regardless, there are these tiles that you have to build up for. And what the tiles do is they show you all the different elements, gladiators, lions, things like that, that you're going to need to put on this show for everybody. But you need the contract to do that first. We'll just call them the contracts for now. There's only one of each type of contract, and so those have to be picked in turn order because somebody might go for the one that you want to go for as well. But otherwise, you can do that simultaneously. The other thing is that throughout the game, you're going to do these auctions, And you're going to get these goods tiles, which help you to put on the best shows that you can, right? So you can take gladiators and horses and scenery and lighting 
and all these things to help you put on your show. But in order to get exactly what you want, you've got to trade. Now in the rules, it says you should trade in turn order, sort of like Settlers of Catan. Whoever's turn it is, is that so you can trade with. Personally, I don't really see a need for this. I think just go ahead and make it a free-for-all. That's what we did, and it worked out really well. You can make these three-way deals. You can um, you can try to undercut other people's deals, and it just makes the game a lot more fun and interactive, in my opinion. The purpose of the game is to put on the best show possible, and the way the scoring works is also something I find quite unique. You're going to have five rounds, which means you're going to be putting on five shows. At the end of each round, you put on a show, a production. And if you have everything for that production, you get the maximum amount of points. And if you don't, you lose points. But you still get some points for putting on that show. And there's other modifiers you can add as well. If you can get the Emperor to come visit your show, you get bonus points for that. If you can have season tickets in your stadium, you get bonus points for that. If your show is unique and you have, you're not putting on the same show again, you get extra points for that. And so all these things build up to make your shows uh, really popular. And... Instead of just accumulating the, the points you get from each five shows, you're actually only going to score the best out of the five shows that you put on. Now, usually this is going to be the fifth show you put on, the last one you put on, because it's almost like you're building up to your final show. It's not always the case. I've seen people whose best score has been their fourth round, but for the most part, it's the fifth, which is kind of cool because it's almost like the others are practice rounds. And so... If you are allowed to get the most points and your best show is better than everybody else's points, well then, you win the game. I was the best because the crowd loved me. And so that's how Coliseum works. It's a really fun, interactive game. There even is a bit of a roll-and-move element, but it's not as luck-based as Monopoly, and it's actually quite strategic. And it's a really great game. 2007, it's been around for a while. If you haven't played it yet, I highly recommend it. So that's what I've been playing. Talk to you later. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we have three games to talk about, so we got to move quickly here. So what's the first game we're going to talk about, Anna-Marie? The first game we're going to talk about is The Whatnot Cabinet, designed by Eduardo Bereff and Steve Finn, art by Beth Sobel, and published by Pencil First Games. Yeah, The Whatnot Cabinet. Um, pretty cool little game here. Do you want to chat about it? Yeah, so it's a tile-laying game. Um, it goes on a 3 by 4 grid, and you're basically um, going out, going for a, be- a walk on the beach, and collecting curios, and yeah. uh, and then just seeing who can make the nicest cabinet. The best cabinet kind of wins. So you're basically going to be... Um, Every turn, you're going to be taking two tiles and laying them on your board. There are different rules for um, how you pick up the tiles, depending on where you're uh, placed on the board. Right. And um, But either way, you're going to end up with two tiles. And so if you got like a normal player count, you're going to end in six rounds. Game's over. Pretty quick game. And uh, you score points based on columns and rows. So it's uh, they're going to be 
three columns and four rows. And the columns you score by color. So if you have, you know, all of the same color in a column, you'll get more points. If you have one of each color or like four different colors, you get lesser points. If you have a mix mash, you get no points, but you get kind of a tiebreaker token. And um, the rows are all scored in objects. So color doesn't matter at all. They, um, they have bottles, shells, animals, crystals, and leaves, all different types of leaves and shells and things like that. So you basically will get, um, you know, if you get, again, same kind of thing, if you get three of the same type of object in a row, you'll get a higher point, uh, higher point for it. If you get three different objects, you'll get a lower point. If you have a mishmash, you basically get another tie token. And you just play out the game and you score. You have um, five kind of common prizes where whoever gets it first gets that card and gets to score at the end and then you have um one card that everyone scores it so maybe it's like yeah, animals a, a common yeah everyone who have whatever animals card, you yeah. get you get points but that's the game it was super fun um yeah, i liked it a lot yeah. nice and quick yeah very quick it was what 20 minutes or so to, we, to play and yeah it was it was a lot of fun played it with our oldest and he got it and loved it and so. it plays two to four i believe right yeah. yeah no good game really good game um other game we're gonna talk about is sebastral it's a two-to-five-player game uh, designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, art by Beth Sobel again, and published by Renegade Games. Now, these are the same two uh, designers that made, uh, what was that one? One other one with an S. Yeah. Stellar. Stellar, yes, yeah. which was a two-player game. This one's two-to-five, and it's uh, it has definite similarities to Stellar, uh, yeah. but quite a bit different. So Very in this one... Yeah. Um, it's a strategic card game where you're collecting cards that represent your notes on the eight different biomes. There's the deserts, the savanna, the rainforests, etc. And you are going to be collecting these cards and adding them to your journal. Um, you're going to have six cloud cards that have a card or two on them that you're going to be taking cards from. Um, you're going to have three cards in your hand and your cards are going to be uh, the same cards as the ones that you're going to be taking off the cloud cards, but then they're going to have numbers in the top left corner, and you're going to have to place, say, if uh, I want to play a, a number three rainforest, I have to place it on the cloud uh, card number three, and then I have to take all the cards to either the left of it or to the right of number three uh, from either two or one or four, four five, five, or six. six. And depending on which side I take from, if I take it from the left, I would add those cards to my hand. If I take them to the right... I would have to add those to my journal. And you're going to be creating um, rows in your journal of different biomes. So you're trying to get as many in a a straight shot as possible, one to eight, hopefully. And you're also going to be creating stacks of um, sets, sets, matching sets. Yes. So that's how your scoring is going to be. The more rows you have, the better you're going to score. The The bigger the matching sets you have, the more you're going to score. But the further to the right on your sets, because every time you put down a card in a in one of your biomes, you're always putting down your next biome to the right. So you have a lot of planning and a really crunchy game, very very uh, similar to uh, that other one, uh, Stellar. Go, Stellar. Yeah. <laughs> in where it's super crunchy, really difficult decision making on whether you don't want to pick up from the left or the right, and if those cards are going to do something good for you right now, or if you want to take cards that might be doing something good for you. Yeah. And yeah, so it's really, really good. This game. game is tough. Very. It's like, I, you look at it and it's again, another tough game in a small box. There's it a is. lot of game in there. Yeah. It's another home run from Renegade. In my opinion, it's, it's oh, yeah. super solid. We only played it at two yes. players and it was still really, really good. Oh yeah. Um, curious to play with an, 
another player and see if it it's gonna changes take anything. But a, a lot of playthroughs to kind of, I think, get the yeah. gist. It, but it is a ton of fun. I like that one. Yeah, I did like it a lot as well. And yeah, so that's Sebastrol from Renegade. Really, really good. And the third Last one we're going to talk about is Castle Panic. And that is uh, designed by Justin DeWitt with the graphic design and art also by Justin DeWitt and published by Fireside Games. Yeah. So Castle Panic here is a game that our two boys have played a lot of at their um, before and after school care uh, place they go to with uh, Mr. Kevin. And yeah. they. Uh, They've been asking for this game for ages, and we finally just got it for them. And Logan, our oldest, actually taught us how to play the game, which is really, really cool. Yeah, we um, didn't look at the rule. No, once. we didn't look at the rule book. <laughs> he just showed us what was going on, and he's he's very particular about these things. So it was it was cool. He showed us how to play, and it's basically a it's a co op um, uh, tower defense game in which you have a castle sitting in the middle of the board. And at random, all these orcs and trolls and goblins are going to start spawning from the forest surrounding you in three different areas, or, well, six different areas, split yeah. into three different colors. And they're going to be slowly making their way toward, well, not slowly, quickly making their yeah, way towards the, fast. yeah, yeah, quickly <laughs> making their way towards your castle and busting your castle walls down. And you've got to use cards of those certain colors. So if there's a goblin in the, in the second row, which is the night row, I think. Yep. In, in the red zone, you'd have to have a red knight card to be able to play that to to, uh, to hit him. Um, and yeah, super, super easy, simple game, but um, difficult. Uh, it was, it, it felt comes like they really on close. you, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's fun. I, goblins and trolls and orcs keep coming out every round. And yeah, it was a ton of fun. I can see why he really liked it, yeah, why the boys like it. Fantastic family co op game. Um, and it played in about. I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and anyway, I was making dinner at the same time, I think. But yeah, no, all three of these games, um, The Whatnot Cabinet, Sebastrol, and Castle Panic, great Thumbs games. <laughs> uh, but we got to run. I'm surprised we got three games into this uh, little chat here. So we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello, I am A.A. Ron Milic. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're here once again on What You Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, What You Been Playing on Wednesday? Same as you. That's true. We both been playing the same <laughs> game. <laughs> All right, so... This is one of those rare times when a game has been on both our minds and we've yeah. been playing it. And the reason for that is uh, last week we dropped our episode 33. And episode 33 had a very special guest. Mm -hmm. We were able to talk with Tony Boydell. Yeah. Uh, Tony Boydell, previously a surprise star games, is the designer of Snowdonia. Snowdonia is a top 10 game for both of us. Yeah. It is an amazing game. And it it's been on our minds because after talking with him, after having that conversation, it really is cool. It, it's it really hit home how good this game is. Mm -hmm. uh, so for anyone who hasn't played Snowdonia, it is a worker placement train themed game where you're building train route 
a single train route and you're built you're competing to build it faster it has two things that i haven't seen in very many games if at all one is a weather system yeah i love that where the weather is constantly changing and that affects how well you can do various actions. Yep. It's hard to dig rubble. It's hard to lay track in the rain, for instance. Uh, it makes it much more difficult in the sun. On the other hand, you get a lot more done. And the other thing is it has a system where the game plays you. Yeah. If you waste your time and don't do very much, the game is going to keep building the track. Because there's this other company that's competing with you as well. And it's a, a random event that happens with a little bit of predictability. It's not totally random. You can get an idea of when it's going to happen. And when it does happen, the tracks will start to build. The rubble will start to clear because this other company has sort of snuck in ahead of you and has started to do it. So even if you did nothing, the game will end fairly quickly because the game will force the end on you. So it's a little bit of a race. It's a little bit of a it's just a really cool mechanism. Really enjoy Snowdonia. One thing that Tony said that I really hit home for me was why Snowdonia has sort of stayed as popular. It's nearing a decade old at this point. It is why it hasn't faded is there are so many expansions for it as well. And I really enjoy a lot of the expansions. Right. And this is a game I got from you because you got like a bigger super deluxe version. Right. So I backed the original Kickstarter from Surprise Stair Games, which had the uh, second edition with all the stuff. And I collected all the promos. And then when NSKN brought out their master set, I backed that one, too. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was going to be a sure hit for me because I love pretty much anything trains. And this game really gets it right. Uh, you know, the the theme and the, the pieces, the way they all work together, it actually you feel like you're building this railroad and it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. no. And the one thing you didn't mention that I think is kind of cool is you have the surveyor who goes ahead to see what's going on and to check out how it's going to be to build the track. I like that element, too. Like, he really did think about everything. Plays yeah. so well. And, man, what a guest. He was so entertaining to listen to. For those of you who don't know, Tony is opening up the Boydellian Museum of Games and Gaming to look at the history of board games. And he's opening up a museum in his hometown in England. Really fascinating. A great interview. Uh, highly recommend it. That's episode 33 if you want to go back and listen to it. Where can they find us, Aaron? Well, they can find us basically anywhere podcasts live. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, that's the best place to find our podcasts. But if you want to talk to us or find us, you can email us at definitelyboard at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Board Definitely, Twitter at Board Definitely. We also have a guild on the Board Game Geek called Definitely Board Game Podcast. But yeah, definitely check out that inter interview. He actually reveals some of the older games he's found that's going to go in these museums. Told us all kinds of interesting stuff. Just a great guy and a great interview. Don't miss episode 33. All right. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Hey there, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And it's my turn to talk about what I've been playing. Um, I had a chance to, oh, I love this game so much, sit down and play Watergate by Matthias Kramer and published by Capstone Games. And uh, indicative of how this game is 
so clean, straightforward, and and you know, short and sweet. I'm going to read for you uh, the history context of the game, the thematic context of the game, and the uh, the objective of the game uh, as printed in the rulebook. Because I mean, it it does it better than I could probably do it. So, in 1972, June, five men are arrested in Washington's Watergate building. What looks like a third-rate burglary attempt on the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee induces journalist Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein on the, of the Washington Post to start a thorough investigation. Over the following two years, they discover that five men were directed from within the White House to spy on political opponents. As a consequence, in 1974, President Richard Nixon resigns from office to avoid impeachment. So in this game, Watergate... Um, one player assumes the role of the newspaper editor while the other embodies the Nixon administration, each with a unique set of cards. To win, the Nixon administration must build up enough momentum to make it to the end of the term, whereas the editor must gather enough evidence to connect two informants directly to the president. Of course, the administration will do all, of its, uh, all in its power to smother that evidence. Can the secret source, known as Deep Throat, tip the scales? A thrilling race against time begins. And the cool thing about this game is it uses the um, card-driven system, I think, um, from GMT. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's uh, the card system that uh, was popularized or developed, I would say developed by GMT, where you have a typically a, a historic figure or event picture image in the center of the, of the card with some fl uh, flavor text indicating the the power of that card or you have um, in one of the top corners you have uh, 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 a number or a power uh, indicative of either resources or movement on tracks or some manipulative on the playing board or the common area now um, in a lot of the cases, uh, the event um, it can can favor like in uh, in typical games in GMT. Sometimes the event favors the opponent, uh, so then you would have to play the power of the card. But in this case, you have your own decks. So um, th this game plays uh, thirty to like forty five minutes, and uh, it's a push pull game where you you produce evidence tokens. Nixon gets to look at them. And so you have three evidence tokens. You have the initiative token and, of course, the most important momentum token. Um, because as, uh, as you gain momentum, I think Nixon has to gain five. So it's, man, it's, it's such a cool push-pull game as you're playing these cards. Now, the very powerful cards in the game, uh, obviously, if you use that, uh, the power of it, they get, they get eliminated. So you have to get your timing down, or you have to decide when uh, it's, it's pertinent to play these power cards. And of course, like any good you know, deck game, uh, the randomization of your deck, and as the cards come out, I believe you, uh, uh, the importance of the initiative is that you get one more card than your opponent. So it's either five and four kind of situation. Now, um, this, the, the, the tactical synergy, when you get these cards in your hand, to decide how, first of all, what are you capable of doing this round and how effective can you be? Or how, um, let's say, 
How obstructive can you be to your opponent's progress? Uh, always focusing on that push-pull on, on that track because uh, um, that is basically, once these evidence tokens are, you know, each time you play your hand out, you evaluate the track. Uh, whoever wins these certain evidence tokens in three different domains uh, gets to place, if you're the, uh, the editor, you get to place this evidence token on this really cool kind of uh, uh, web, de detective web diagram with Nixon in the middle and then uh, on the perimeter are the informants and then you have this, this uh, yarn connected, um, let's just say, path, different pathways that you can go. Um, and uh, if you are Nixon and you, and you win, you get to take this evidence token, flip it around and block whatever progress. So, you, so there's a lot of kind of, uh, um, uh, I would say, tracing path creation, uh, obstruction of this path. There's so much interesting uh, uh, choice, so many interesting choices in this game. I, it's, I, I, I want to, just talking about it right now, I want to play it again. Um, so yeah, that before, without getting too crazy and too deep, um, that's Watergate by Matthias Kramer and, uh, and published by Capstone Games. Love me some Capstone Games. Um, and we are at that time, right, uh, where I always like to show the appreciation of the listeners. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and listening to what we have to offer. And of course... The content creators, thank you so much to all these fantastic content creators who collaborate each week to produce this amazing piece of material that every time affects my affects my uh, my wallet. So uh, congratulations, and uh, and I you know I it's it's better than getting into trouble, I guess. So with that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift, and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by Cardboard Conjecture, who have been playing board games during this heat wave. And all the artwork starts looking like Salvador Dolly prints.